0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. If you have your Bibles, grab them. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And then once you're there, put a marker or something in it and turn with me to John chapter 19. So we're going to be Matthew 5, John 19. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers. Welcome to Clear Creek. We are so glad that you're here joining us in person or online. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And a special howdy to uh, Papa and Mama. You're watching this morning with my wife and kids in Indiana. I love you. Pray for me. Thank you. I love you. And for everyone else, we're just so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we, there's been a lot going on in our church over the past few months. We've seen a number of people give their lives to Christ through baptism, which has been wonderful. We've also seen a number of you go through some very heavy, heady situations. I was talking to a friend during the first gathering, and he's got some major health concerns that are going to have to be dealt with this week. So I don't know where you are today, but what I hope you hear this morning is simply both a reminder of the goodness of God and an invitation into the goodness of God, that He really is good and he really does want to take care of you. And so, with that said, I want to begin with an obvious statement that you know very well, but here it is. Are you ready? We need water. Thank you, Captain Obvious. We need water. In fact, did you know that about 60% of your body is made up of water? See, I... By the way, when I go see my doctor, I try to tell my doctor, Doctor, it's not fat, it's just water. That doesn't seem to fly with him. He still says, "Need he lose some weight. But the reason this is important is because when you don't have enough water, by the way, a word that we often associate with this is the word thirst, right? And when you're thirsty, when you don't have enough water, this is what leads to muscle cramps, to headaches. Why? Because your body and your brain run on water. In fact, did you know the number one cause... ...of fatigue is dehydration. If you're feeling tired, one of the best things you can do... ...go get a couple glasses of water. This is a fundamental need. In fact, how many of you know what I'm talking about... ...about the frustration of surgery? And after the surgery, the worst part of surgery... ...is actually, I think, when you come out of the surgery... ...they take that tube out of your throat... You're coming out of anesthesia. Your throat is scratchy. Your lips are dry. You're parched. And all I want is something to drink. And for whatever reason, they will never let you drink. They'll just give you a little glycerin swab. Or what about this? The ice crystals. It's like, that's not going to cut it. I want a big gulp. Give me something more because, because we all need water. Jesus understands. Your thirst and mine. In fact, in this moment that we're about to enter, Jesus himself understands in an acute way the fundamental need of water, of being thirsty. Let's remember where we are. Jesus has now been on the cross for six hours. In the first three hours, he uttered four statements out of his seven. And now, in the last few minutes on the cross, He will utter the final three. We're going to go with number five today. We will look at number six on Good Friday at our Good Friday experience here. And then we will look at the seventh statement next Sunday on Easter Sunday. What's interesting about this is most crucifixions did not take hours. They took days. But because Jesus had already been gruesomely beaten before his execution on the cross, before put on the cross, he is Well, let's just say His time is running out fast. And so in these last few moments, Jesus says His fifth statement. Would you stand with me this morning in honor of God's Word? John chapter 19, verse 28 and 9 says this. Later, after those three hours of darkness, later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so the Scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, say these three words with me, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Knowing that everything had now been finished, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, I pray that you will answer the thirst of our hearts. Come, Lord Jesus. Speak to us. Come into us. Make us different today. May your word not return to you void or empty, but may it accomplish what you want it to as we read it, as we explore it, and ultimately as we receive the good news from it. It's in the name of Jesus. And all who agreed said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, we've talked about the gruesomeness and the torture of the cross, how the Romans made sure no one wanted to be crucified. So, we've talked about what Jesus went through, how he was on the cross for six hours, and before that, brutally tortured. He was beaten, his beard was plucked out, not just plucked with tweezers, but handfuls grabbed and yanked out by the roots. They took a thorn bush, wrapped it into a circle, a makeshift crown, if you will, jammed it down on his head and then had him parade around like a fake king. He had been whipped, not just with a typical bull whip like you might see at the rodeo, but with what the Romans called the cat of nine tails. It was a whip with nine loose ends where they would wrap glass, bone, or rock into it so that when they cracked the whip, it would rip around the flesh of the person, dig in, and when they pulled back, It would rip flesh off of the person. It was said that 40 lashes would kill a person. So the Romans ensured that they only ever whipped someone 39 times. Now, if you're a math major, I am not. You do the numbers. Nine lashes times 39 is 351 unique stripes Christ had on his body before they put nails in his hands and his feet. This was a brutal, horrific experience that he went through. He's bleeding to death. He's lost almost all of his bodily fluids. He's dry. So it is no wonder that he says, I am thirsty. Now... I have no doubt that Jesus was, in fact, thirsty, but I believe there's something more going on in this text. So I'm going to invite you to put your excavation gear on, and let's come into the history of the moment to see what might be there for us to bring home with us. If you'll notice, this is not the first time that Jesus has expressed his thirst. There's another time, earlier in John's Gospel, in John chapter 4, where Jesus says, I'm thirsty. Do you remember this moment? Jesus is traveling with his disciples And we're told, Jesus says to his disciples, I must go through Samaria. Now, Samaria is a region in Middle Eastern area. Uh, It sort of splits Galilee in the north, Judea in the south. And Jesus says, I must go through Samaria. Now, if you know the text and you know the geography, the fact is Jesus did not actually have to go through that region. Uh, All the religious leaders even said, you shouldn't go through Samaria. Don't go through Samaria. But if you have to go through Samaria, they said... First, take a bath before you leave Samaria. Wash yourself, wash your clothes, don't even carry the dust of Samaria out of Samaria with you. This is what people thought of the area. It was sort of the other side of the tracks kind of thing. And we're told Jesus is tired, and so he sits at a well at around 12 noon when a woman comes to get water. Now, this would have been unusual for a woman to come at noon. As was the custom, women would come together earlier in the day when it was cool, and they would come together. Why? Because it was the only time they could get away from the men and the children and have some gal time. Can I get an uh-huh from the ladies? This is the time where they would share the village gossip, share the village news. It's how they organized village life together, and so it was unusual to see any woman go by herself to the well at the hottest time of the day. But as we begin to read through her story, we come to realize she wasn't just like every other woman. She was a woman who was thirsty for something. She'd looked for it in many relationships. She'd been married five times and at this point is living with a man who is not her husband. She is thirsty. And Jesus, still knowing all this, he still asks her, "...would you give me a drink of water?" So, this is the very first point I want you to get. Like the woman, we all are thirsty for something. Every person in this room, every person you will see this week, is thirsty for something. Many of us are thirsty for relationships to be restored. Many of us are thirsty for financial freedom. Many of us are thirsty for our children to come home, for us to have relationships that flourish. And many of us, if we are honest, are thirsty to feel at peace in our own hearts and lives. We are tired of waking up in the middle of the night feeling guilty over things we have done. We are thirsty people. The first thing I need you to hear is that we are all thirsty and so this conversation with a woman goes on and finally Jesus has this wonderful moment where he points to her and she's here for water and he says this water this water will not satisfy you long term I know you're thirsty but the thirst of your soul is much deeper than the well of this well you cannot get from it what you need but if you drink From me, Jesus says, I will give to you living water, fountains of water that will never run dry. Point number one, every one of us in this room and in this world is thirsty for something. Point number two, the world is great at distracting us from what truly matters. You are thirsty and the world says, we've got a product for it. I'm craving something, and the world says, come over here to the back of our car, to the inside of our jacket. I've got the thing that'll satisfy what you are longing for. In fact, many of you worked from home for the first time during the lockdown. Show of hands, how many of you ended up working from home over the past two years at some point? Yeah. Here's one thing you may have noticed, because I noticed it for the first couple weeks. You have your stuff set up, maybe you're Computer is stacked up on a bunch of books on the table. And you think, I'm going to be the most productive I have ever been because there are now no more distractions in the office. But guess what? Your office now is just one big distraction. You've got kids, you've got spouses, you've got other responsibilities. And if those are not enough, you sit down, turn on your computer, you pull up your email, and a good friend of you has been so kind as to send you... A cat video. After all, it's funny. He thought it's funny. You should too. And it is funny. You watch it. You waste some time. Time flies, but not getting things done. And you realize that what was offered to you did not satisfy what you were trying to get done. This world of ours says, if you're thirsty, try this. It will quench your thirst. And it does. For a little while. Jesus on the cross cries out, I am thirsty. And the Romans take wine vinegar. It's the cheap box stuff. You know what I'm talking about. And they put it up to his lips. And when Jesus, when it touches his lips and he tastes it, he goes, this is not. This is not what I'm wanting And you know that feeling, right? Where you stand in front of the refrigerator because you're thirsty. The doors are open. Your electric bill is going up hundreds of dollars every second. And you look inside and say, I am thirsty. What do I want to drink? Nothing looks good. And so what do you do? You grab a can of soda. Or if you're in the South, Coke. And what do you do? You drink it. Now, here's the problem. Soda is full of what? Sugar and salt, both of them require water to digest. In other words, you drink it only to find yourself thirstier. And if you have ever had the misfortune of being thirsty and drinking a glass of milk, you got the same effect. And so you stand there long enough looking until you realize what you really want is a nice Ice-cold glass of water. Nothing else will do. And why should it surprise us, friends? After all, you were made from water. Sixty percent of you is water. Why would it surprise you? That the thing you need to quench your thirst is what you were made of and made for. Hear me now. You were made by God who knows you and loves you. Why would you expect anything else other than for the one who made you to fulfill and satisfy you? Only Jesus can satisfy the thirst of your soul. And the worst moment, the worst moment in someone's life is when they have had the misfortune of getting everything else in their lives that they think will bring them satisfaction. Only to find out they are still thirsty. Friend, the only thing that can quench your thirst is Jesus Christ Himself. Don't you dare accept a substitute. Don't you dare accept a knockoff or an alternative. You take in Jesus Christ because only He can satisfy. Now, this leads us to a very interesting question. If it is true that we all thirst for something, and if it is true that the world is very good at distracting us from what truly matters Then this is my next question. If you and I thirst for Jesus, what does Jesus thirst for? Have you ever thought about that? In this moment, I think we get a picture of it because it's more than H2O that I think he's longing for and crying out for. You say, Josh, where do you get that from? Let me give you a couple reasons why I think this may be true. Why does, if Jesus, why does he say, I am thirsty? Now, some people say, and this is historic answers, well, this is the moment where Jesus is most like us. He knows what it's like to be in the dry and weary places, thirsty and worn out and in desperate need of water. And while that is partially true, I think there is so much more. Here's the first reason. You need to know, this is not the first time Jesus is offered something to drink while during his execution. Earlier, before his execution, Mark 15 will tell us that before they put him on the cross, the soldiers offered him wine mixed with Myrrh. Now, if you remember your, nas- your nativity scene, we have seen myrrh before, haven't we? What do the wise men bring to baby Jesus? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why did they give this to him? Okay, let's talk science for a moment. Myrrh is a narcotic. It dulls your senses and it dulls pain. This is before the days of Advil, Oxycontin, uh, Vicodin, any of those drugs that help you when you are in immense pain. Jesus is going through a painful experience. So what? Are the Romans just such sweet guys? They're like, ah, oh, let's alleviate his pain. And the whole church said, no. They were professional murderers. Their goal was to torture people. So why are they giving him a pain killer? Here is the answer. Most crucifixions did not last hours but days. Jesus, however, because of his brutal beating beforehand, is going to die much quicker. What the soldiers would often do, because they were required by law to stay at the foot of the cross until the soldier is dead, what do you think most criminals are doing while hanging on the cross? They're screaming, and the soldiers don't want to hear it. So if they can drug the victims, at least they won't hear the screams quite as loud because they will not be in a right mind to do it. Understand, they're not doing this out of love. They're doing this out of self-preservation. Jesus was offered something earlier on, and he refused it. So why does he now call out for something to drink if he does not want what they have to offer I think John gives us a hint in the opening line of this little passage when he says these words. Go ahead, next slide. Knowing that everything had been finished, Jesus says, I am thirsty. This word thirst, this idea of thirst. Thirst is a metaphor throughout the Scriptures for the most primal longings, the most primal needs, things that we cannot long live without. You know, your body, you can live without food for a few days. You can only go a little while without water. As the deer pants for water, the psalmist says, so my soul longs for you oh god this is the existential longing of all people and in this moment i believe jesus is not saying give me a soda pop he is saying there's something i am craving what is it real quick go with me matthew chapter 5 i want to show you what i think the answer is see there's one other place where jesus talks about thirst isn't there In the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us this beautiful phrase. Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, key word, righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who thirst, who crave for righteousness. Now, this word righteousness gets us all twirled up and mixed up because we confuse being right for being righteous. It is possible to be right Without being righteous. The Pharisees, by the way, the answer is going to be yes. The Pharisees, did they know the right things to do, church? Yes. Yes. Did they do the right things, church? No. There's a difference from being right, knowing the right things to do, and being righteous. In fact, have you ever won an argument because you were right? but you lost the relationship in how you did it? I love this meme that I found the other day. This, just, uh, it's just, this is just too good. There's a guy laying outside his house. got a little blanket. He's with man's best friend. And the phrase is, relaxing, after winning an argument with wife. Yeah. He may have been right without being righteous. Right simply means being correct. Righteous means being right in God's sight. How do you become right in God's sight? Here's how. You do God's will, God's way. You do what is right with the right heart, the right mind, the right intention. You do God's will, God's way. Jesus in the Beatitudes says, Blessed are those who crave God's will, God's way. And he even tells us when we pray that we are to pray for God's will to be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. That righteousness, God's will, God's way would be here all the time for all people. And now in this moment... What God the Father sent Jesus the Son to do to make a way for people to be righteous is about to be fulfilled. From Genesis chapter 3, when humanity sinned and walked away from God, the Father and Son conspired to get us back to defeat satan sin and death on the cross and bring righteousness god's will into the world friends are you not thirsty to see righteousness in our world where husbands love their wives and wives love their husbands are you thirsty to see children who grow up to understand how god made them and not how this confused world tells them they're made Are you not thirsty to see nations lay down their weapons and unite in peace? Are we not thirsty to see all people bow their knee to Jesus Christ? And in this moment, what Christ is saying to anyone who will listen, the work I came to do is almost over. I see the finish line and I am thirsty for what is to come next. This is the picture of what we see on the cross. Even water in this moment won't quench the thirst of Almighty God whose work is almost done. This is what Jesus thirsts for. This is what Jesus died for. And this is what Jesus next Sunday will rise for. That righteousness will cover the world. That the glory of God, the honor of Almighty Jesus, will, as the prophet says, cover the world as the oceans cover the sea. That is what He thirsts for. So my question this morning is simply this. What are you thirsting for in this moment, friend? What is it that you're longing for, that you're craving By the way, I think it's incredible to know. Did you know that the very last phrase in the Bible is actually a prayer? It's just a couple words. It's, come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come quickly. Bring your righteousness. Bring your healing. Make people full and whole and the way that you intended it, not just for me, but for all people, for all creation, for all nations. Come, Lord Jesus. And we echo that sentiment this morning. What are you thirsty for, my friends? I'm going to invite you to consider that question over the next couple minutes. We're going to take some time now and just talk to God in prayer. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we kind of set the room. I'm going to ask you to, to kind of sit up for a moment. Maybe uncross your legs. There's nothing more spiritual about uncrossed legs than crossed. But this way, hopefully your legs won't fall asleep and distract you from the moment. In our house, sometimes when we pray, we'll open our hands like this. Just as a child, will come to their parent and saying, I need help, and I'm open to it. So maybe you want to put your hands open on your lap. It's okay if you do, and if you don't. I'd invite you, though, to close your eyes. Take a deep breath. For just a couple minutes, you don't have to prove anything to anyone. You don't have to measure up. You don't have to worry about your quarterly earnings. You don't have to worry about the things that you brought in. Just breathe. I'm going to walk you through a few prompts this morning. I'm going to invite you to begin your prayer this morning with adoration. Now, adoration is not the same thing as gratitude. We're not thanking God for what He has done. This is simply where we praise Him for who He already is. Now, you don't have time to mention everything, so just pick a couple things. Maybe you want to say, I praise you, God, because you are holy, because you are life giver. You are warrior. You are king. You are good. let your praise and adoration begin to go into gratitude. How is it that God has made himself known to you this past week? Something he's done, some way he's shown up. Maybe it was in the conversation you had with a friend or a hug of your child. Maybe he simply was there in the dark moment and reminded you that you were not alone. So in this way, just pick one or two moments and tell him, I praise you, God, because you have. And then fill in the blank. Now let your gratitude lead you into confidence. Jesus taught us to pray. Give us today our daily bread. And he did not tell us to say, can you give us what we need? Or maybe you'll give us what we need. He says you come confidently and ask. What is it that you need? We don't have time for you to list everything, but pick one or two things that today you desperately need. And while you're there in confidence, lift up a friend or two. We call that intercession. Now it's time for confession. Now don't worry, please. This isn't time for you to beat yourself up and it's not time for God to beat you up. I need you to know He already knows everything you're going to say and everything you've already done. You see, confession is ultimately for you to experience the freedom of God. To be able to unburden yourself and say, I was not brave when I should have been brave. I was not wise when I should have been wise. I did this or I did that to be able to honestly tell him where you are and no longer have to carry the secret, wondering if he already knows or if he already cares. And it's just time for you to own it. And in confessing it, to let it go. So confess. Now, you don't have time to deal with everything, but there are probably one or two moments that you want to focus on. So go ahead and confess those moments to God. And finally, prayer is the dialogue. It's a two-way conversation not meant to be held only by you. So in the next couple moments, ask Jesus what He wants from you in the next coming days. Lord, ask Him, how may we serve you? Pay attention to the answers you get, maybe to the images that God brings to mind or the passages of Scripture, to the tugs on your heart. Lord, hear the prayers of our friends. This morning, some are prayed in laughter and others are prayed in tears. This morning, some are praying with deep sobs in their soul, while others with unspeakable, overwhelming gratitude. But for Father, whatever they are, we pray you have heard those prayers that have been spoken and those prayers left in silence between our heart and yours. We pray now in ways that each of my friends need to know that you will tell them you've heard. And you are acting. We pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.